Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Excuse me. I'm going to start reading in verse 26 and read through verse 36. Luke chapter 9. It says, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory, and in his Father's, and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth. There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. It came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And, behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud, and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close, and told no man in those days any of those things which they had Seen. I titled this message this morning, The Glory That Shall Follow. The Glory That Shall Follow. You know, life in this world is labor and toil. Let me say that again. Life in this world is labor and toil. But if we endure the labor the toil, the hardships, the trials of this life, we will reap the fruits of our labor. And in the passage before us, I believe that Jesus is encouraging his disciples not to be discouraged by the trials and the hardships of life. For our labor and our suffering is not in vain. In the Lord. So let's look to the word of prayer and we'll look at this this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to assemble here this morning. We thank you for your word and we thank you that it is quick and alive and sharper than any two edged sword. We thank you that it gives life and health and breath. And Father, we pray to those that hear it. And Father, we pray, Father, that we hear your word this morning, that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be challenged, and we'd be strengthened. And I'll walk with you. And Lord, if be any without thee this morning, I pray the Spirit of God will work in your hearts. Bring conviction, help us see the need of thee. So just encourage us and strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we consider this this morning, I want to look at I have three things and I have some subpoints. But first of all, the real person of Christ is revealed here. In verses 28 and 29 it says, And it came to pass about an eight days after, you know, after he had, you know, think about what he had just told them. You know, they, you have Peter's confession, which they all agreed with, except Judas. And then Jesus told them about how he was going to suffer and he must be 
killed at Jerusalem. He's going to be slain and raised. Then, then he's going to be raised the third day. And then he said, if any man will come after me, he must, things we don't like to hear, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's some heavy stuff. So eight days after, he reveals who he really is. He gives them a little glimpse, you might say, of who he really is. The real person of Christ. Verse 28, came to pass after about eight days, and after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up to a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. In Mark, in Mark's account of this, in Mark chapter 9, verse 3, it says, His raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Jamin Fawcett Brown in his commentary said, The light then, it would seem, shone not upon him from without, but out of him from within. He was all irradiated was in one blaze of celestial glory. What a contrast to that visage more marred than men and his form than the sons of men, which Isaiah 52 talks about. So here what we really see here is Jesus really giving his disciples a little glimpse of who he really is. Yeah, they said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. That's, you know, that's, that is true. But, but he's showing them who really is the Christ, the son of the living God. John and John 1 says, the word was made flesh, and we beheld his glory. John is referring to this, this, this time here. We beheld his glory. In Hebrews 1, 3, the Bible says, where it calls Christ the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Peter, writing in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables. We made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, they're getting a little glimpse of who he really is. He is God. He is the Word made flesh. He's the one that took a body, was born in a manger, as a 12-year-old boy amazed the doctors of the law at Jerusalem, the boy who submitted to his earthly parents, the one who wept at the grave of Lazarus, but then raised him from the dead, who wearied with his journey and hungered, who was a great teacher and a great example, but he was more than that. He is God. He is Jehovah. He is the Almighty God, He is the only potentate and King of kings and Lord of lords. See, He is the one who, be, who will be seated on the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we, everyone may receive the things done in the body according to that He hath done, whether it be good or bad. And He knows. This can be comforting or alarming. He knows all about you. Because Revelation tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, that he's walking in the midst of his candlestick. The candlestick is his churches. Jesus is walking in the midst of his churches. And chapter 1 tells us he has eyes like a flame of fire. He has piercing eyes. He sees everything. 
even the thoughts and intents of your heart. See, we're not dealing with a mere man here. And Jesus is revealing to his disciples, these three disciples who seem to be close to him, you know, I'm not a mere man. I'm God. He is the one that will be seated on the great white throne. The Bible says he's going to judge the wicked, the quick, and the dead. 2 Timothy 4.1 For he is the Almighty. Revelation 1.8 says this, I am Alpha and Omega. That's the, you know, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, that's present tense, which was and which is to come. That can be no other than Jesus Christ. And then it adds this, the Almighty. You see, this is really who Jesus is. This is the real Jesus Christ. You know, our world has made Jesus into some feminine, sweet, loving, you know, creature. Creation of man, really, is what they've made him into. Who never says a harsh word. Who never gets angry. I'm sorry, my Bible says that he looked on them in anger. And I happen to think he was probably a little upset when he overthrew the money changers. And our friend, our eternal state will be determined by what we do with this Jesus. Neutral we can't be, cannot be. For someday your soul will be asking, what will he do with me? To turn away, to delay, to resist his will, to be saved is to play the fool. I heard a guy say one time, what it is about, a, about an eternal hell that you want? So this is the real person of Christ, and, and he's revealing himself a little bit to the disciples there to encourage them. But I want to just a second thing about this passage here. I want you to notice the subject of the conversation of the glorified ones. Look at verses 30 and 31. This is kind of interesting to me. It says, And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, here, you know, Moses and Elijah appear with him, and they're in their glorified bodies, and Jesus is transfigured. And, you know, it means he's, his form is changed, and, and, and they see him in his glory. And, and these two that are glorified and Jesus are talking about, you would think they'd be talking about the glories of heaven. I mean, they're there. They've made it. No, they're not. They're talking about his death. Why was the death of Christ the subject of discussion for those already in glory? I believe it's because this subject is the main focal point of all the history of all mankind. 
You know, the focal point of everyone's life at some point will be how have you responded to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Either in this life or when you stand at the great white throne. See, the focal point of your life, the most important thing in your life is going to be what have you done? How have you responded to the death of our Lord Jesus Christ? Matthew Henry in his commentary said, I quote, Our Lord Jesus, even in his transfiguration, was willing to enter into discourse with his death and sufferings to teach us that meditations on death, as it is our departure out of this world to another, are never unseasonable, but in a special manner seasonable when at any time we are advanced, lest we should be lifted up above measure. In our greatest glories on earth, let us remember that we have here no continuing city. And when we get to heaven, there's going to be a heavenly choir. Even Brother Hoyle will sing on tune. Yeah, there's going to be a heavenly choir. Do you know what the song is about? Go to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign in the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all them, all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. The four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. In, in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3 that, that talks there about the the saints, it says, and they sing the song of Moses. The song of Moses was the, the victory song of the children of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt. They're going to sing the song of Moses and the servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. See, that's the song. The song of the Lamb. You see, this, this demonstrates clearly the purpose of his incarnation or his coming into the world. He came to die. He came to be a sacrifice for the sin of mankind to redeem man. 
whom he created, whom he desires fellowship with. 1 John 3, 5 says he was manifested or he was made plain or, or revealed to us to take away our sins. That's the subject of discussion of the glorified. It also demonstrates for us the, the priority or the importance of the salvation of souls. You know, Mark 8, 36 and 37 says, For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall man give in exchange for a soul? In Romans 9, Paul said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continuous sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In chapter 10, verse 1, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. There's nothing worth more than a soul. So the subject of discussion is, his death. You know, you know, doesn't it seem to you, you know, in, in such a place like this, that's kind of a that's kind of a discouraging subject. But there's a purpose in that. The third thing I want to mention this morning is the message to the people who are with Christ. Now you have five here that are with him on the mount. Uh, you have you know, Peter, John, and James, and of course you have Moses and Elijah. You know, Moses, of course, is the, was the great lawgiver, the leader of Israel. Elijah, he was the great prophet, one who prayed no rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed down fire, and then he prayed down rain. Of course, they, they picture for us the Old Testament saints. You know, Moses in particular could, could picture, uh, also could picture for us the dead in Christ. Moses died and was buried by the Lord. Elijah was taken to heaven in a whirlwind. He did not see death. Picture of the rapture of the saints. Of course, Peter, James, and John became prominent leaders in the first church at Jerusalem. Peter was the first pastor. James, the first of the twelve to be martyred, beheaded by Herod. John, the disciple of Jesus' loved was given the responsibility of Jesus' mother. Banished to the Isle of Patmos. Historians say he was boiled in oil by the Romans. But who alone died a natural death? Now, what is the message then of the transfiguration to them and us? Well, it is, hear him. Hear him. Verses 33 and 35, it says, And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto him, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud, and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Now, the question I asked is, what does it mean to hear him? You know, Jesus made this phrase, or made this statement on several occasions, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. 
What he means is, don't just hear it with the ear. The Pharisees heard everything he said with the ear, just as much as many times as the disciples did. But they crucified him. No, you need not just hear it with the ear, you need to hear it with your heart, and you need to obey it. Matthew 24, or I'm sorry, Matthew 7, 24, tells us that he, he that heareth these things of mine and doeth them. That's the idea. So Peter here, you know, you think about this, Peter was rejoicing in this vision and desirous to continue it. Who wouldn't want to? Stay where they are. So he proposed to build tabernacles and let's just dwell here. Oh, it's wonderful being on the mountaintop, isn't it? It's not wonderful very long. You say, what? You know there's no water on mountaintops? Springs are in valleys. Fertile soil is in valleys. You know, we had some mountaintop experiences this week. But what prepared that? valley work. You see, Albert Barnes in his commentary said this, quote, this was spoken to confirm the disciples to declare their duty to hear Christ rather than any other and to honor him more than Moses and Elijah to strengthen their faith in him when they should go forth to preach the gospel after he was shamefully put to death. After this, it was impossible for them to doubt that he truly was the Son of God, unquote. See, the, there, the, what he's saying is you need to hear him. You need to hear everything that he says, not just what you want to hear. They did not want to hear, and they weren't all that interested in hearing, take up my cross daily and follow me. They weren't too interested in hearing, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer and be slain. You see, how do you know they weren't? Well, let's just move on to verses 44 and 45 of chapter 9. It says, he says, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not the saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. They didn't really want to know. They didn't want to hear this kind of stuff. In fact, even when they got into the garden and they came to rest, Jesus, what's Peter doing? He pulls out a sword and cuts off a servant of a high priest here. You're not doing this. That was what he was saying. See, the message to us is this, and to them, that suffering comes before glory. You know, in this life, in this life, we labor, we toil, we endure trials, hardship, and suffering. But he's saying to the disciples, don't be discouraged or turn back or away. There is glory to follow. There's glory to follow. You know, that has been the pattern of all who have gone before us. You know, we, we talk about how great Moses was and how great Elijah was. You know, and Moses is in glory now. He was the great leader, the great lawgiver. 
But think of all that he endured with the people of God. The trials and temptations. In Numbers 20, verse 14, it says, And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom, Thus saith thy brother Israel, Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us. You see, real life for Moses wasn't as exciting as sometimes we think it was. I mean, he sent in 10, 12 spies. 10 come back with an evil report. He was on the border. With the children of Israel, they were on the border of Canaan land, and they turned back. They would go into the wilderness in their journeys, and there'd be no water. And he's responsible for all these people, feels the responsibility to all these millions of people, and there's no water, or the water's bitter. You know, it took a lot of faith for Moses to not say. This isn't worth it. He could have. Even his own kin, Miriam and Aaron, spoke against him at one point. See, it wasn't all exciting. There's a lot of hardships. It was just plain work. Now, of course, we have Elijah. Wow, he lived on the mountaintop. Oh, really? You go tell the president it's not going to rain for three and a half years, except by what I say. And, you know, the king in that day didn't particularly like him anyway. And having to trust a widow who only has enough food for one day or the ravens to feed you when there's nothing growing. Oh, that would be exciting, wouldn't it? Now, I'm afraid that most of us would worry about, boy, if we use this meal and oil today, we may not have any tomorrow. And we'd be anxiety attacks. You know what? I think he had one. He ran from Jezebel, and then he asked God to kill him. What was his problem? Oh, he's sort of like you and I. He's flesh and blood. He was worried. You see, it wasn't all exciting. Oh, yeah, he, he challenged those 400, but it was 400 against one. Took some real guts, didn't it? prophets of Baal. And he had the children of Israel who were standing around saying, well, we don't know if we want to follow God or we don't know if we want to follow Baal. We just don't know. We can't make up our minds. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a support group like that? Glad you're not like that. No, it wasn't all fun and games, but it's glory now. You see, again, Jesus had just spoken some heavy stuff that Christ must suffer and enter into his glory. 
And, of course, they were in denial of it. You know, this is, this is what the, the, the Bible teaches us over and over again. For example, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with glory. No, it doesn't say that. How many of you love to run? It's so much fun. It's so pleasurable. You know, Sunday school teacher used to say one time, I heard him say a couple times, he said, he said I, never, I would never take up jogging because everybody I see jogging looks miserable. <laughs> running isn't fun. It's the fruit of the running is why they do it. Now, we're to run with patience the race that is set before us. Why do athletes... You know, you can see this truth illustrated everywhere in life. Why do athletes spend hours, weeks, months practicing, denying themselves, pushing themselves for one game? They do it all for the game. Because if they don't, it shows. They lose. So we're to run with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down, right hand of the throne of God. Revelation 14, 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, and henceforth, yea, stayeth the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do Follow them. Go to Romans chapter six, or Romans chapter two. Romans chapter two. <clears throat> Romans chapter two, verse six says, "Who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient, what's the next word?" Continuance. Patient in continuance, in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. You see, by those who by patient continuous continuance, there's glory. There's fruit. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, of course, 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter, but the last verse of that chapter says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It doesn't say your glory is not in vain. It's your labor or your work. You know, that ought to change the way we look at our labor, our work. We're to do it as under the Lord, whatever we do. 
And I'll change the way we look at suffering. If we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together. You know, I thought of this. There's no fruit in glory. Think about it. There's no fruit in glory. Glory is the fruit. You going to lead anybody to Christ in glory? Is there any sense in praying in glory? No. There's no fruit in glory. That is the fruit. That is the fruit of our labors. That's the fruit of our work, of our laboring, our working, our suffering, our denying ourselves. You see, winning the game is the fruit of practice. Playing an instrument well is the fruit of practice. Practice is work. Sowing brings reaping. You know what sowing takes? Work. It takes work. You see, Jesus is telling the disciples here, look, you can't sustain life on a mountaintop. You can't sustain life on a mountaintop. Mountaintop experiences are the fruit of living. And we get some of those in this life. We get little glimpses here and there. And this is a little glimpse that Jesus gave to his disciples to encourage them. But mountaintop experiences are the fruit of living, laboring, suffering, and enduring, patient endurance in the valleys of life. One commentator said, quote, Jesus showed in an acted out way that cross bearers would be glory receivers. The end isn't the cross. The end is the glory of God. You know, Peter, in 1 Peter 1.11, said, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ that was in them did signify when it testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the Glory that should follow. So, Peter, John, James, White House Baptist Church, don't be discouraged when Jesus said, You got to take up your cross. You got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You're going to save your life, you're going to lose it. You lose your life for my sake, the same shall find it. He meant what he said. And he gives us here a little glimpse of what he meant. Of the glory that shall be revealed. So don't be discouraged. Don't be disheartened by trials, the toils, temptations of life. They will come. They will come. But so shall the glory follow. If we endure, we'll be glorified together. So let's live in the valley and enjoy the glimpses of the mountaintops. Let's patiently endure for the glory to come. 
For one day, Romans tells us in Romans 8.21, one day we'll be delivered from the corruption of this life into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Oh, it'd be wonderful to just live on the mountain. But if you live on the mountain, you're going to live a life of fruitlessness. There'll be no fruit. Because fruit is a product of sowing, of watering, of laboring, of suffering. But be steadfast, unmovable. Don't let those things move you. Because our labor is not in vain in the Lord. We serve the King of Kings. His kingdom yet is not visible. But he gives us a little glimpse here that what it is going to be. One day he will come. And then we can rejoice and share in his glory in his kingdom. So don't give up hope. Look unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith.